Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Welcome to the Peter King Podcast. As usual, a lot going on in the National Football League after seven weeks. Looking forward to week eight. And I'm joined by Miles Simmons, uh, my friend and partner from NBC Sports, to break all of it down. We're going to have a guest today, this week, Joe Person, who covers the Carolina Panthers for The Athletic. Um, I kind of thought that the Panthers were the forgotten entity. It almost seemed we talked more about the Rams than about the Panthers, the Rams who didn't get Christian McCaffrey. Uh, obviously, the 49ers, everybody talked about, we all talked about the 49ers who got Christian McCaffrey. Where does this leave the Carolina Panthers? We're going to talk a little bit about that in our, in our first block, and then uh, we'll get into our conversation with Joe Person. We're also going to hit on um, the, the big news of the week, that almost no matter what happens, it looks like the career of Matt Ryan uh, is very much in dry dock with the announcement that the Indianapolis Colts, according to head coach Frank Reich, plan to start Sam Ellinger, the sixth round pick from Texas uh, for the rest of the season at quarterback. Uh, a startling move for a three, three and one team, but Matt Ryan leads the NFL in all quarterbacks in the league in turnovers. <clears throat> and the Colts just did not feel that they could go any farther. We're also going to touch on in this podcast, Geno Smith and his ridiculous maturity and great play in Seattle. We are going to implore to a tongue of Aloha, please. Slide, slide, slide. Uh, Patrick Mahomes played an incredible game and nobody noticed. In fact, it's the best recorded game in the history since 2016 of next-gen stats and how they rank quarterback performance. And stupid me, I didn't even name him an offensive player of the week. We're also going to talk about Joe Burrow who perhaps also played the best game of his NFL life on Sunday. And I'm going to ask Miles, which team has a better chance to rebound, Tampa Bay or Green Bay? Which Bay has a better chance to make something 
of this horrible season, uh, at least what looks to be a horrible season. Miles, how are you doing? What really hits your cranium uh, as we start the podcast this week? I will start the podcast with a little pat of the back for myself, which sometimes we like to do in this business when we get something right. And, you know, the whole blind squirrel finding a nut thing. But Peter, when I was watching that Thursday night game between the Broncos and the Colts on October 6th, I put it out there that the Colts really need to take the long weekend and start thinking about starting Sam Ellinger. Because wow, it just looked that bad from Matt Ryan. So today, I feel a little vindication. Well, you know, if you've thrown nine interceptions, you've lost three fumbles in seven games. Uh, I think, you know, when it was reported in Indianapolis on Monday that there was a lengthy meeting after the uh, Colts got back from Nashville on mm -hmm. Sunday night. Lengthy meeting between owner Jim Ursay, uh, GM Chris Ballard, and coach Frank Reich. And look, I kind of know the way the Colts work, all right? And and it isn't like Jim Ursay pounds his fists on the table and says, we're, we're not starting uh, Matt Ryan anymore. He, the way uh, Jim Ursay works is that he'll sit at a table, he'll probably seethe a little bit, and he'll say, guys, what are we doing? Really, what are we doing? You know, the old Albert Einstein, um, you know, and I'm going to screw this up, but, <clears throat> you know, uh, what's the, uh, I'm going to say it and then you're going to know it, but you know, doing the wrong thing over and over and over again is the definition of insanity, which yes. is not what he said, but it's something like right. <laughs> yes, so, it's what players players love to quote it. Yeah, doing yeah. the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result. Yeah, exactly. Yes. That's it. That's it. That's it. So, like, here's the thing that got to me. They've played seven games, the Indianapolis Colts. They scored zero points at Jacksonville. Mm -hmm. They scored 17 points against Tennessee at home. They mm -hmm. scored 12 points against Denver. No touchdowns. And they scored 10 points at Tennessee against the Titans. Now, obviously, they have been without, for most of the season, a fully functioning Jonathan Taylor. And that really hurts their offense. Even though he's playing, he's not perfect. Okay. But the, the veteran quarterback that Matt Ryan was supposed to be, you know, settle things down, get everybody in the right place. Leader. Look, everybody loves his leadership qualities. Mm -hmm. But, and, you know, he's been as accurate as usual. But it's just you know, so much of watching the Colts to me, it, it's, it's kind of strange, but I look at his 68% completion percentage and I say, man, that really seems wrong because I've yeah. seen him miss throw so many balls 
so anyway, I think it makes sense. I got a couple of Ellinger stories to tell you, but tell me if this makes sense to you, especially to do it now. Uh, coming into for what Indianapolis uh, has a very kind of a tough stretch. Well, it's it's kind of a twofold thing, right? Because if you understand that Matt Ryan's not going to get you where you need to go, then at a certain point, maybe it is best to just kind of cut your losses and say, well, let's see what Sam Ellinger can do. Because if he turns out to be a good quarterback, a viable starting quarterback, then we can continue with him, right? We can build around him. If he doesn't, then odds are we're going to be picking at a high spot in the draft. And that's how we get our next quarterback. So, and beyond that, it might not be the current football regime that picks that guy. So perhaps that is an attracting factor to new potential suitors, right? So, I mean, there's a lot that goes into that. And I don't necessarily think that this means that Chris Ballard and Frank Reich won't be there next year, but I think right now it's just very clear that even though Matt Ryan is not the only problem that the Colts offense has I mean that offensive line, they keep shifting it. They've been doing different things. It's not been playing up to the standard that they've had there. And also they're not being playing up to their paychecks, right? It, Ryan wasn't really going to be the solution. You look at that pick six that he had yesterday. And I know that Frank Wright kind of tried to take some heat off of it with saying that, you know, he got the play call in late because he was arguing with the officials about the non uh, face mask call. But at the same time, Ryan is such a veteran quarterback that he's got to know, don't throw that ball there. Don't put the ball in harm's way. And it's the same on the second interception that he threw uh, to that linebacker, David Long. So it's just not been good for Matt Ryan. His lack of mobility is the big factor, I think, in what they've you know been able to do, what defenses, I should say, have been able to do in bringing him down and sacking him, causing him to fumble. It's just not been good enough from Matt Ryan. And that's why at this point it's like, well, we ought to try something and this is what they're going to try. And I'm interested to see if it actually works. So here's my Ellinger story. And I think those are good points, uh, Miles, that I think it's time to try something else hmm. because clearly, you know, seven games has shown this just isn't working. So this happened in training camp 2021 i was in um westfield indiana covering the colts in camp and a long conversation um after practice with frank reich and at that time you know carson wentz may or may not have been ready to start at the start of the season you yes. know in 2021 and i asked uh, I asked, uh, you know, Reich about his options. And one of the things he said is that, because I said, look, it's, you may only have to play somebody else for a game or two if uh, Wentz isn't ready. Mm -hmm. And Reich said that day, look, if you're a good coach, and I think I am a good coach, you can get, anyone ready to play one football game which i didn't really understand and he goes if you draft a player 
then you have seen something in that player to make you believe that he's got a chance to help your team. Well, what did you see? Here's what we saw in uh, Sam Ellinger, you know, blah, 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 blah. And he was talking about how, okay, you probably don't want to play him for six or seven games because he's just not ready for that right now. But for one game, we like the following things that he can do. And we know that he's got the brain to adapt to this circumstance, everything like that. Uh, And he has the physical and mental toughness to, you know, to take some hardship. So that is kind of stuck with me Hmm. this year. Frank Reich again was pretty high on Ellinger when we talked, but let's be honest, he was positive. You know, he told me this is the guy finally who I think is going to be our quarterback for more than one year. Right. Because they have gone and had a single quarterback. They've gone from Andrew Luck to Jacoby Brissett to Phillip Rivers to Carson Wentz to Matt Ryan. And now he thought, okay, we're going to have Matt Ryan for two or three years. This is great. And obviously now he turns to Ellinger in the middle of the season. But what I was going to say, Miles, is that in the preseason this year, The Colts really thought that, okay, look, we got a great backup in Nick Foles, and so he's going to be the guy to put out the fires. But we think we have a chance, a chance to have a quarterback who is going to be able to play. Ellinger uh, was 24 of 29 in the preseason, 83%. uh, No fumbles, no interceptions. (coughs) And... The the vibe I got from camp is that I don't know when it's going to be, but at some point we're going to give this guy a chance. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. I kind of like the move. Yeah. I mean, I like it too. And I think that's interesting that it's not just, oh, we think we have to do something because Matt Ryan is playing at this <coughs> level. Right? It, it seems like it's more of a – we feel like we can give Sam Ellinger a chance to be very successful. And I, I do think when you have a running back that is a threat like Jonathan Taylor is when things are right around him, you know, the offensive line has got to play better. They've got to block better as a whole. And Sam Ellinger has got to be able to get that offense in and out of the right plays. You know, we talk about game manager as if it's some dirty term, but if you can't manage the game properly from the quarterback position, then you can't be successful at all. Right. What are the things we've been talking about with Russell Wilson, where you're getting pressure coming right up the middle at you? Now, those are protection issues that quarterbacks have to be able to diagnose and solve before the play even begins. So we'll have to see how Ellinger does in that regard. But just having somebody like Jonathan Taylor, who is the threat at running back that he is, that helps a young quarterback who's going to be making you know, his first starts. It helps him immensely, I, I think. So. Ellinger goes uh, starting this week. It was supposed to be the Carson Wentz Bowl yeah. uh, when the Washington Commanders played in Indianapolis. But instead of Carson Wentz, it's going to be Taylor Heineke for Washington. 
And instead of Matt Ryan, it'll be Sam Ellinger. So that's quite a come down from Carson Wentz versus Matt Ryan. And let's see who made the right decision. Um, but, you know, the last very quick point I would make is that I find it amazing that somehow, some way, since the day Andrew Luck announced that he was walking off campus, that, you know, the Indianapolis Colts just have not been able to find a quarterback. It's just the craziest thing yeah. because they're smart people. Chris Ballard's very smart. <clears throat> Frank Reich is very smart. And I can't fault any singular decision that the, any single, excuse me, any single decision that they've made. But it's just amazing that here they are, two really bright people and a very, very good offensive-minded Frank Reich. And they are going to play for the rest of this season. A sixth-round pick, who knows? Um, there have been some pretty good sixth-round picks one in particular that has played quarterback at a decently high level in NFL history, but it's just, it's just wild to me that six starting quarterbacks in five years, including Andrew Luck, it's just, it's just really nutty, you know? Yeah. Well, I mean, that retirement decision kind of sent that organization into a tailspin, right? And they have not been able to correct that. And it seemed like last year, maybe that was going to do it with Carson Wentz, you know, and okay, you can stabilize that position, not just for this year, but for years to come with somebody who knows him, who's familiar with him, who can get the best out of him. But then that didn't work, right? So then you go and you get Matt Ryan, another veteran who, yeah, he's got... He's not necessarily the same guy that won the 2016 MVP, but he's got something left in the tank and he can stabilize the position. And my gosh, all the reports that were coming out of Indianapolis from the off season program and training camp, Matt Ryan sped up practice. His leadership yeah. is so much, is so good. And he's gotten everybody on the same page and it's this and it's that. And then you come to the regular season and you see that it's just not there anymore for Matt Ryan. So Again, I, I don't know if Sam Ellinger is going to be the guy who can really stabilize that position for them, but I understand why at this point they had to try it. I, I really do. Yeah. Hey, let's get to Christian McCaffrey. Um, we're not going to know whether this was the good decision or bad decision for the 49ers in a long time, but yeah. <clears throat> I really like that the Rams didn't do it. Okay. And, and because... You know, as I wrote in my column, if they had made this trade, it was going to cost them their lone remaining draft picks in the first four rounds of this draft. They were already without their one, four, and five. They had a fifth-round compensatory pick coming, but they were out their one, four, and five. And if they had to trade their two and three, the bad part of it for the Rams, that wasn't going to be it. They were going to have yeah. to trade their two and three and then some. That would have left them without a draft choice until around number 160 in the draft. And if you look at the Rams right now, they've got some needs. Tell me what you think of the Rams not getting uh, Christian McCaffrey. 
Yeah, I think it's the best thing for them. And, you know, I was working for that organization when Christian McCaffrey was coming out of the draft, and I know how much they liked him, even though they didn't have a first-round pick, and there was absolutely no way that they were going to be able to select him. But I also understand how Sean McVay could certainly use a weapon of Christian McCaffrey's caliber in that offense. You take some pressure off of Cooper Cup. You know, you do some other thing. You have another good, viable running back that they need for that offense. But Christian McCaffrey doesn't play center. He doesn't play guard. Yeah. You know, he's not going to sure help doesn't you. doesn't play left tackle. <laughs> right, exactly. He's not going to help you along the offensive line, which is where things are the most dire right now. So, you know, I think it is the best thing for the Rams that this did not happen. Now, they've not necessarily had the most success with drafting second round picks in the McVay less need era. You'll get Gerald Everett and he's made some plays, right? I mean, the, the biggest thing he ever did was catch the game winning touchdown against the Kansas city chiefs in 2018. And, you know, we're talking about 2018. That's a really, really, really long time ago. And since he's been with uh, the Seahawks and now he's with the chargers. So like, that's one of them Two two at, well, he's had, I think one or two touches in two years, Cam Akers, that's not working out. Van Jefferson, he's hurt right now. So at least that's somebody where you've seen contributions from, but they still need that second round pick. And if nothing else, they can flip that second round pick into later picks because they need some shots at the dartboard to just add to the depth. You know, whether it's offensive line, whether it's skill players, whether it's defensive players, as you try to retool, reload around Jalen Ramsey and Aaron Donald, you, you just need more shots at the dartboard yeah. to get those talented guys. So I agree with you, Peter. I think it is the best thing for the Rams that they weren't able to get this done. As far as the 49ers go, I like the fact that they're willing to put themselves out. They're willing to take risks, sort of like the Rams are. Right. But, and again, this isn't, if I were them, I probably would have done this. But my main misgivings, because Kyle Shanahan, I talked to him at length on Saturday night mm -hmm. uh, after their meetings. And I said to him, you know, you realize when we talk about risks that you took in rounds two through five, you traded a two, three, four, and a five. And in rounds two through five, since you've been there, you've taken in those rounds, George Kittle, Fred Warner, Debo Samuel, Dre, Gle Dre Greenlaw, and Talanoa Hufanga. Um, and, and he interrupted me and he goes, for every one of those that have been great, I can name about 10 others who haven't been great. Uh -huh. Of course, he's exaggerating, but what he means is that you know, you can pick out these guys, but there are others who didn't work. But I just, I want you to remember the words of Jimmy Johnson. Everybody thinks of Jimmy Johnson as this brilliant draft manager, and he was very good at it. But he also told me several times that one of his secrets was just get a lot more draft picks than anybody else. Okay. Because I'm not that much smarter than anybody else, if I'm smarter at all. And having more picks allows you to pad uh, your stats. Mm -hmm. You know, it allows you to make mistakes, knowing some of those guys are going to work. But if you only have one pick and it doesn't work, well, that's it. Right. And San Francisco's margin for error 
without these four picks over the next two drafts in these areas, their margin for error is going to be minuscule. Absolutely. You know, the, the example I always point to and people talk about the draft and, you know, having more shots at it, the 2014 law then St. Louis Rams, excuse me, the Rams had two first round picks. One of them was Aaron Donald. The other was Greg Robinson and Greg Robinson was number two overall, but who remembers that because yeah. the Rams drafted Aaron Donald, right? So I think it just speaks to that point. The more shots you have at it, the more chances you have to get it right. Then, then when you do get it right, it's like, oh my gosh, you're brilliant. So, I mean, this is why the Panthers wanted to make that trade. They need more shots at the board to retool, reload under their next head coach. You know, they traded a bunch of picks to get Sam Darnold, to get Baker Mayfield. Neither of those guys worked out. So now you trade somebody in Christian McCaffrey who's been hurt the last couple of years. And he's only played 10 games in 2020 and 2021 combined now he's been healthy this year and that's great i think we all want to see christian mccaffrey healthy we all want to see him play to his top ability and he'll really have a chance to do that this week because san francisco's playing the los angeles rams and when those two teams get together in the regular season san francisco tends to come out on top at least in the last few years so i think it's going to be interesting to see how he can really affect and change that offense, especially with the full week of practice and the more comfortable he gets in that scheme and in that system. Hopefully Jimmy Garoppolo will be able to showcase all of those guys properly and not make some of the boneheaded <coughs> decisions that he sometimes tends to make like he did on Sunday when he threw an interception at the goal line. Miles, let's for the, uh, for the Carolina portion of this deal, Let's get into my conversation with Joe Person of The Athletic, who's covered the Panthers forever, a really bright guy. Little known fact about Joe Person. Joe Person was a teammate of Mike Tomlin at William & Mary when they both played college football. You see what you learn on this podcast that you never would know. Anyway, let's get into my conversation now with Joe Person. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. Hear that? It's the call of the Crave. And when the Crave calls, you know what to do. Try the $5 Bacon Bundle, because the only thing better than a White Castle slider is a White Castle slider topped with crispy hickory-smoked bacon. So pick any two of either the Bacon Cheese Slider, 1921 Bacon Cheese Slider, or Chicken Bacon Ranch Slider, and also get a small fry for just $5 with the $5 Bacon Bundle. White Castle. Follow your Crave. Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour, and they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. 
Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people, guaranteed. So happy to be joined by Joe Person. He joins us from the field at Bank of America Stadium, Charlotte, North Carolina. And Joe, I, I guess I would, I, I do want to start by informing uh, my audience about Joe Person, the Mike Tomlin teammate, which is one of those stories that the first time I heard it, I said, no way. But it is true, isn't it, that you were a teammate at the College of William and Mary with Mike Tomlin in 1991 and 1992. Yeah, I love that you you saw saw me later on in life and there's no way this guy was any sort of athlete, even at William and Mary. But yeah, it was uh, that was a cool experience. And Mike. <laughs> Mike was a lot more, he, he was more intense than I was then and now, but, uh, he was, uh, he, he was a good athlete. I mean, you know, probably, I think, I think I remember you doing some stuff with him over the years, even and some of the William Mary stuff, Peter. And, uh, he was very into the tape and, and, and that side of the X's and O's and, much to my detriment, probably I was more into the people and, and the stories of sports. So I guess we both ended up where we were, were supposed to be. Yeah. You know, it's funny. My brother went to William and Mary back in the late sixties. And I remember thinking that it is the perfect place to go to college. Not only is it beautiful, but the emphasis on academics there above all else, even if you might have gone there and thought, hey, it's cool to play football. Uh, I always thought that that was kind of a cool thing. I think when my brother was there, if I'm not mistaken, I might be wrong. I think Marv Levy was the, the coach of the football team. But anyway, it was just sort of a, a fun little angle. And I know, I know Tomlin uh over the years i think has really appreciated what the academic side did for him there it was a neat experience and and you bring up a good point i mean it it has a long for for being just kind of a small little school liberal arts school in williamsburg virginia it has a pretty strong coaching tree history with you mentioned marv levy lou holtz went through there Obviously, more recently, Tomlin and Sean McDermott. Yeah, and yeah, it 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 it's cool, and I I was was glad to spend some time there. Oh, okay. Last thing, what was Mike Tomlin like as a player? Was he ferocious? So he was he was a lean wideout from the Hampton Roads area of Virginia, very talent rich area. That that obviously, I think Michael Vick was from that area. And he was good, Peter. Like he, I remember. So I, as I, as you said, I, I was a couple years ahead of him, and he started as at least as a sophomore. He was already in the starting lineup and probably got reps, as I recall, as a freshman. So he was a lot more skilled that, than I was for sure. Yeah. Wow. Um, okay. So I want to talk a little bit about the McCaffrey deal, but. I, I I guess 
what really interested me in this is a week or so ago, you know, I, I don't, I'm not on the phone 12 hours a day anymore, but a week or so ago, I was talking to a very well-respected general manager. And I said, what can the Panthers get for Christian McCaffrey? And this guy said, well, the contract is a nice contract to acquire because over the next year and a half, you're only going to owe him $12.5 million. And so you can worry about redoing the contract, but it's so little this year, only 700000 or whatever. And then the next three years, it's reasonable if he's a big star. But he goes, the thing that bothers me is that you're trading for a guy who missed 23 games over the last two two years and what re <laughs> what really can you get for him and he said i would not pay a one but i certainly would pay a two i don't know that i'd pay a lot more than a two and obviously uh the panthers got second third and fourth round picks next year and a fifth round pick in 24 so i think gm scott fitterer did very well give me the little uh, analysis as you see it. I think you're right. I mean, obviously whoever put out from the Panthers sort of privately that they were looking for two first round picks. I don't think they ever thought that was going to happen. That was, I think that was sort of their way to let teams know that they would like to try to get one first round pick. And when we talked to fitter late last week, he thought in, in their trade value book or chart, they got pretty close to the equivalent of a one with, with all those picks you just mentioned, you know, having the, the, the three this year from the second through the fourth picks, I think they did pretty well. I mean, I was, I think it helped too that they had a pair of NFC West rivals Sort of, and I think you made your, that point in your in your column today that that they were sort of bidding against one another at least to a point. I know the Rams would only go so far, and then something I wrote about last week when this trade was going down, Peter, I was reminded of September of 2017, right around Labor Day, preparing for Week One. It's Christian McCaffrey's NFL debut. And it's Kyle Shanahan's debut in San Francisco as the 49ers head coach. This was back when we would get the uh, opposing coach yeah. on the press. Long story short, these, you know, their history, like Kyle played for, uh, for excuse me, Mike Shanahan coached Ed McCaffrey. Kyle yeah. Shanahan babysat the McCaffrey boys. And I just remember him saying, like, we, a teenage Kyle Shanahan would be at the Denver facility and he said, you'd look and there'd be all these McCaffrey boys. And I remember the quote, he said, they rolled deep. <laughs> but I think, well, I, I think that was key, right? Like I, th I think this, that Shanahan McCaffrey dynamic was an important part of this. You know, it's interesting. Kyle told me, I had a long talk with him Saturday night late. He said, it wasn't me who babysat them. It was my sister. But I would come over sometimes uh, because she said, man, these kids are wild. They run, they run me ragged. And so Kyle said, told me that 
he basically would throw the ball to him in the backyard and they'd be out there playing tackle football. And, you know, so, but I, I'll tell you what I find really, really interesting about this. Yeah, there's all these connections and all that. Um, but, and I, I read this a lot over the weekend, and I really think it's wrong. I, I don't want to call anybody out, but I read, okay, so in 2017, he's coming out in the draft. And that was the year, that was the first year of the Shanahan Lynch regime uh with the 49ers and uh they allowed me to be a fly on the wall in their draft room for three days actually two days i didn't stay for the third day but there was a lot written and said about uh the fact that all the the niners came close to picking him in 2017 joe i never heard Christian McCaffrey's name one time in all these discussions, in the meetings, in the talking back and forth. They, I mean, they weren't taking a running back in that draft. Now they would have been smarter taking uh, Christian McCaffrey than Solomon Thomas, but you know, they, they were going to pick Solomon Thomas. There was never any question about it. And, and, but so I don't think, that this was a situation of the 49ers thinking that, oh, we got to have this guy who we once missed out on. It was a situation that we got to do something about a pretty dormant offense because we've just have not been able to score enough points. I, I, I think the one thing that really interests me about McCaffrey in, in Carolina Joe, you, you've covered this team for a long time. How did the people of the Carolinas feel about Christian McCaffrey? I think it was, you know, unfortunately, in, we live in this world of instant reaction and hot takes. And there was a lot of negative fan energy online the last two years when, when he was hurt, Peter. And I... Christian was a, a guy while he was here he didn't let you behind let yeah. let us as media back behind his curtain very very much he wouldn't put the guard down but I did ask him toward the start of the year just how this how all that affected him and he he made no bones I, I mean he made it clear that he had read, he had heard all that, and not that he kept receipts, as they say, but it, it, it was tough, I mean, because he was beloved here early on, but uh, then that same team, that a lot of those same fans last week were like, how could the Panthers trade this guy? <laughs> like, these are some of the same people who were like, uh, asking Christian McCaffrey when he was going to get back on the field in 2020 and 2021. Yeah. It's funny. I just never got the feeling that he was so beloved. I don't know why I, you know, but, but I do think that in today's football, it's the right thing to trade a running back after six years. If you can get a good haul for him, no matter how good he is. And I think he's really good, but I have no idea how much he's going to play from here on out. 
if you've played, and I made this point in my column this week, you know, he has played nine years. He's played three years in the Pac-12. And he played six years in the NFL. He's missed a bunch of time recently. But in his average game, you know, he's he's had 21 touches, either rushing, receiving, returning. And for a guy who, I don't know, oh, what did he weigh now? He's listed at 205. What was he, 208, 210? Yeah, yeah. yeah. He's not a big guy, as you, as you yeah. well know. But so, in, a, in other words, you just really wonder after a while, when are the bills going to come due? It looks like they've started to come due, you know, on his health. And I'm sure he would say, ah, fluky injuries, whatever. We're four injuries. So, yeah, they maybe they were fluky, but they're significant. Um, I want to ask you two other things. One is about how, uh, like, when I look at the Panthers now, I think they're in really, really interesting shape going ahead in the immediate future because, look, They've struck out on their quarterbacks, obviously. Teddy Bridgewater, Sam Darnold, uh, now Baker Mayfield. <clears throat> so it's clear they're going to go out and get a quarterback. My question is, what's your gut feeling on the type of player Scott Fitterer and uh, the owner David Tepper want? Do you think they will be desperate to get that first pick in the draft so desperate that it will influence playing time decisions and things like that for the rest of this year? Well, it's interesting because you mentioned Fitter and uh, Tepper in this equation. Well, the third person who, who's in on these decisions now is Steve Wilkes. Steve Wilkes being the interim coach, but also being the coach who joined Brian Flores' lawsuit for, uh, you know, minority coaches not getting a fair shake in this league. Right. And example specifically, that year he spent in, in Arizona where he didn't get to pick the quarterback, felt like he got stuck with Josh Rosen, et cetera. And so I know, I, I know what you're saying. And I and and clearly trading Christian McCaffrey was the right move, but you did trade away your best offensive player. And so was it with an eye on the number one pick? I don't think Steve Wilkes is going to be playing any of those games. I, I don't I, no, no matter what they maybe bumped up his salary, no matter what they've told yeah. him, knowing Steve Wilkes having covered him before, this locker room is rallying around him and rallying around P.J. Walker right now. It's a one-week deal. Like, look, I get it. I'm not I'm not painting the, the Panthers as a Super Bowl contender. It is a very weak year by all accounts and, and on appearances for the NFC South, Peter. And so this yeah. team, it, it's, it's a fascinating dynamic. Would they be better off having a top three pick and drafting – Bryce Young, C.J. Stroud, or Will Levis, yes. And and they might get there. That, that might happen organically. But it won't be because Steve Wilkes 
agreed to uh, any sort of tank deal. Yeah. Tank. I I think for a team that's that's two and five and has had the turmoil it's gone through, these next this next month in in particular shapes up to be pretty fascinating. Yeah, I and I also look at you know if you're Carolina and you get to the point where you really want one of those quarterbacks, even if you win six or seven games, well, now you have ammo. You've got your first round pick in 24. Um, and then you've got <clears throat> what should be a high first round pick this year, close. And obviously now four picks uh, in the, uh, I'm sorry, five picks in rounds two through four. Um, so, I would think they're going to have enough ammo unless there's a golden boy like Joe Burrow was a couple of years ago and Cincinnati wasn't going to take five ones for him. I don't sense this year that there is one must-have guy. Do you get any sense right now? Any idea what they might be thinking about this quarterback crop? I think they... Like you said, I think they feel like it is a very solid quarterback group. I don't know that they feel like it. it yeah, listen, they're, they're still figuring it out, but I don't know that they've identified one yet. Um, Scott Fitter, I know, is, you know, he's a former scout. He likes to go. Uh, and see these guys in person. Dan Morgan, uh, the assistant GM, like the they're kind of old school that way. Like I know some of these GMs don't don't go to games and they let they do a lot of the film study. Yeah. But um, yeah, I personally I like the Will Levis kid right now. I think some people in the building here like him, but. It's well short, Peter, of, of any sort of consensus or anything like that. Does Steve Wilkes have a prayer of getting the full-time job? I was having that conversation with someone today, somebody uh, with the organization who, whom I, I like and trust. And it, it, it's, again, to, to this idea of, the, of a week NFC South, in 2014, you'll remember this, Ron Rivera's group, they'd made the playoffs the year before for the first time with the Rivera-Cam pairing. 2014, they had some injuries. Uh, I don't think Cam was playing particularly well early in the year. They're sitting there going into December at 3-8-1, and one, and we're all writing their obituary. I mean, I, yeah. I said, I'm to play the young kids and – and, and Rivera did play some young guys. And long story, they, they end up winning their last four games. They go to the playoffs at 7-8-1, and one, and they even win a game. They beat Arizona in, in the, I guess, the, the wild card round. And, um, well, guess who was a, a member of that coaching staff? Steve Wilkes was on that staff. Wow. And, and it's, it's just going to be interesting. It's almost like right now, Peter, these four NFC South teams – are uh, at simultaneously playing for the division lead and maybe a top five draft pick at the same time. That's an amazing thing to say, but you're absolutely right. I mean, it's I could see any one of those four teams winning it because they're all flawed. 
they're all flawed in a major way. I'm going to end by asking you this one question that uh, that just hit me over the weekend, and I wonder if the Carolina Panthers knew that it was going to take a small package, including their second round pick this year, plus something else, who knows, for Sean Payton. Do you think they'd have any interest in him coming in and helping pick and train a quarterback, a quarterback of the future for this team? Oh, I think they'd love it. I, that is right in Dave Tepper's wheelhouse. He's, he's a guy that likes to make a big splash. He likes to, to he's not afraid to spend money. I, I don't think the money would be a factor, Peter. First of all, I, to answer your question, the Panthers would be very interested. I don't know that Peyton would be interested in, even with the idea of, of getting to pick one of these, these uh, top quarterbacks in the draft. Um, and, and, you know, also David Tepper is kind of quickly or gaining a reputation. In this league as sort of being a wild card owner. Yeah. I think, guy like Peyton would have some reservations and, and would you know want to have a lot of questions answered but yeah I think I think the interest on the Panthers side would be would be real and substantial I just I don't get the sense I, I think they even sort of get the sense here that Peyton probably would not come here you know I'll just tell you this I'm in touch with Peyton I talk to him I wouldn't say a lot but I've talked to him three or four times uh, this year uh, since the start of training camp. Uh, I think he truly, absolutely, truly does not know what he's going to do after this year. Okay. Um, he won't take a job just to take a job. He won't take a job where he doesn't have a quarterback. And I just think this is just my gut feeling. I don't think you should eliminate Sean Payton from your thought. Yeah. And now it'd be another thing. Would Gail Benson allow him to go coach another team in the division? Right. Or will she say, okay, we're good. If you want to go, you're not going in our division to come and play us twice a year, which is probably a reasonable thing to say, but who knows? Um, but Sean Payton, I think, I've always thought that he wants to go somewhere where the owner's going to spend money, where money's not an issue, uh, where there's a quarterback. And, I mean, Carolina is one of those franchises right now that you look at and you say, the only thing they have that is wrong is that they're just, they've been losing a lot. And so they must have a lot of things to clear up. And, you know, clearly if the most important thing is at quarterback and you've got a pick, say, in the top 10 and you've got a bunch of picks and can maybe move up to fix that, uh, I I don't know. I'd never say never about this because I this is going to sound funny, Joe. I think Sean Payton is very much tabula rasa blank slate and he is not going to make any decision 
until there's a decision that has to be made. So take that for what it's worth. I don't know. I don't know anything, but I don't think Sean Payton knows anything either. He has said to me, he goes, I might love TV. I might love the life. And, you know, he said this when he quit. I'm pretty tired of chugging Diet Coke or whatever at two o'clock in the morning to get another hour or two of work done. You know, I, I don't blame him. What a miserable existence. I only do it one night a week and I'm miserable, <laughs> you know, but, but I just think, you know, you never know. That's how I would say about the future of Sean Payton. So we'll see. I keep it open. I listen, it, it'd be fun. It'd be, it'd be a great, great ex- experience to, to cover him and, you know, it's we had that we we all on this beat had the cam years, which were were pretty wild on a lot of different levels. Uh, but it's it's been kind of a dry a, a dry four or five seasons here, Peter. So we're we're uh, we want to cover something interesting, man. Hey, you know, I know I said we were done, but I just have to say one other thing that there's something about this Matt Rule thing that just bothers me. You know, Matt Rule's a good guy. And I really feel like in many ways, and I don't know this because I'm not there, I really feel like he didn't have the undying support, especially of the owner, but of this organization either. I thought that was a weird uh, coaching tenure. And um, I'm not saying it's right or fitting or whatever, but... You know, everybody will say, well, geez, the owner owes him $40 million. Don't throw a pity party for him. But you know how coaches are. Of course, $40 million is great. Let's do it. Hey, wonderful. But that's just not everything. I don't know. I just, I just didn't like how the whole thing went down for the last year or so. Yeah. Listen, Matt Rule is a smart guy. Like he has forgotten more football than, than I'll ever know. And he knows offense, he knows defense, knows a little special team. I mean, he's coached all sides of the ball, both sides of the ball. Um, it, it was a weird marriage uh, right from the start because they kept Marty Herney and they, they, they didn't bring in the coach and the GM at the same time. Marty sticks around one year, but they give rule control of the 53. And I know sometimes we make too much of that and it's a contractual thing, but I think it's telling that Marty (laughs) one year and then, then he was gone and it'll be interesting too, as, and, and I think Matt rule is probably a better fit at the college level. I, I, I just, and I think he'll go get one of these jobs and be terrific. Yeah. I think he probably will too. Joe Person, thanks so much for taking the time. Really appreciate it. And it looks like a beautiful day in Charlotte. Go enjoy it. Appreciate it, Peter. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. 
Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour, and they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Back on the podcast, and so glad that uh, we were able to be educated by Joe Person uh, of The Athletic. Very interesting time in Panthers history. Um, we don't talk about the Panthers very much, and I'm glad we were able to get a segment in there about uh, a team that is going to have a lot to say about uh, the draft coming up and about the future of, perhaps the future, of people like Sean Payton. So let's get into the second part of our um, of our podcast. You know, Miles, I'm I, I had the the fortune, good fortune, on Sunday night before the Seahawks uh, left Los Angeles after their 37-23 victory over the Chargers, to spend about 12, 15 minutes on the phone with uh, with quarterback Geno Smith who uh, really, to me, is, I think, the most amazing story in football this year, and that includes the Giants and the Jets. I think he's amazing because it's been eight years since he's been a starting quarterback, a regular starter in the NFL. And right now he is uh, leading the NFL in completion percentage. He's in the top five in almost every category. He's third in passer rating. Uh, and he just, he has shocked the world with what he's done. But the thing I said to him was, I said, you know, I, I think your accuracy is amazing uh, considering where it was. He was a 58% passer for the Jets. And now he's 15 points better, you know, in yeah. Seattle. And he said a lot of real smart things when we talked. And I just gave him a stream of consciousness in my column. But I want to read one thing to you and get your reaction. Quote, I know I might have struggled out the gate in pro football. That's just the reality of the NFL. Sometimes they give up on you fast. The numbers at the beginning of my career are kind of skewed, if you ask me. If you look at Peyton Manning, if you just judge his rookie season, You'd never think Peyton Manning would have become what he became. Steve Young, too. Troy Aikman. The list goes on and on. Just got to have patience with young quarterbacks. You got to find the right young quarterbacks with the right mentality who are going to continue to work and have a great attitude about the game and the struggle. That comes from the lips of a guy who has sat for the last seven almost seven full seasons. And I just think if you can find a really bright, hardworking uh, quarterback with some talent and just stick with them, stick with them, stick with them, 
who knows you know there are more there's more than one geno smith out there and my feeling is at the quarterback position with age becomes wisdom uh with age comes wisdom uh experience uh begets a chance later in your nfl career and i don't know i was just really impressed with the guy your thoughts so far on what you've seen on Gino? Well, I just love the way the Seahawks are playing. And, you know, watching that game yesterday uh, that they had against the Chargers, I just kept thinking, man, they play with such an edge. And part of that obviously comes from Pete Carroll. You know, we always use the cliche, the team takes on the personality of the head coach. But there was a moment in that game where there was some poor officiating going on and Geno Smith was arguing with the official, Pete Carroll was arguing with the official, and then the the Fox cameras caught Pete Carroll turning to Geno Smith, and when Geno Smith was started to go back into the huddle, and he said, Geno, Geno, and then he just Pete Carroll just put his hand down his chest, basically say like, hey, button it up, let's stay composed, let's do what we have to do. Geno Smith got back into the huddle, came out of the huddle, fired a first down pass. And you could see how fired up he was, you know, and then I think they went, they either scored a field goal touchdown at the end of that drive, but whatever it was, you could just see how well Pete Carroll and Geno Smith are working together. And you can see that the edge that they play with, they, they feed off of each other. And I love to see that kind of thing. I mean, Pete Carroll said it after the game, who in the world would have thought, that here we are, you know, midway through the season, and the Seahawks are alone in first place in the NFC West at four and three. It has a lot to do with the way Geno Smith is handled being that team's quarterback and performing at the level that he's performed at. I just think it's marvelous when a guy understands who he is and can also understand that. All I can do every day is just show up and work hard and be ready for my chance if and when it comes. Yeah. I thought the coolest thing that he said to me was, you know, when I asked him about how, uh, you know, about how his mental part of the game is really important. Yeah. And, and, and he said, in essence, that it comes down to what we do and not what we say. And because, you know, look, he's sitting there and and they got a young uh, running back, uh, Kenneth Walker from Michigan State, a rookie job. who has been just really, really good. And And so to me, when I look at, his attitude i just kind of say to myself i i i really kind of say to myself there there could be nothing better for this team than a veteran guy who appreciates where he is in life does not care if anybody in any newspaper or website writes about him talks about him whatever he has wanted one thing give me the ball and let me play and that's what happened and I really, really marvel at that. So I want to ask you about the other team uh, in this game. And that's obviously the Los Angeles Chargers. You live in LA, you see the Chargers a lot. And 
I'm a little bit befuddled. When I think about the Chargers, I wouldn't be surprised like mentally they strike me as like a, a two and five team. But you look at them and they're four and three. Yeah. Are they really good? No. <laughs> I mean, I, I feel a little pretty confident in saying no after seeing them last week against the Broncos. I mean, that was a game where if, if both teams could get a loss, then they should have gotten one and maybe they should have ended that horrible Monday night overtime game in a tie. But the thing about the Chargers, there are two things about the Chargers that really concern me under Brandon Staley over the last couple of years. They, when they have chances to have good moments, just to have a good game, to put themselves in a good position, they never seem to do it. They Last year, they went and they played Houston, and yeah, they had a bunch of injuries, that they had a COVID situation. But when you have a quarterback in Justin Herbert, who is as good as we think Justin Herbert is, you need to be able to put a game plan together that wins. The, the Texans were not a very good team last year. Right? That ended up being a four-win team. You're telling me that you can't go into Houston and beat them? I don't know. Yeah, you know, It's course. the same sort of thing that they have. They This year, they play the Jaguars in SoFi Stadium, and they're at home, and then they come out listless. You can't come out listless at home. It's yeah. the same thing that they did on Sunday against the Seattle Seahawks. You're down 17 to nothing at the first quarter. Why? You know, and then the other thing that's really bothering me about uh, the, the Chargers offense right now is these numbers from Justin Herbert, who, you know, I have not seen an incredible amount of quarterbacks. I've not been covering the league for, you know, as long as you have, Peter, and I don't go on training camp tours and whatnot, but I'll tell you one thing. Of the quarterbacks that I've seen in practice, Justin Herbert has the best pure arm talent that I've ever seen. Okay, I mean, the way he can fit balls into yeah. tight windows, the way he can throw guys open, the way he hits guys in stride, his ball placement is on point almost every single time. That's difficult to do. And the fact that he's been averaging 4.9 yards per attempt over the last two games is unacceptable. They throw far too many balls behind the line of scrimmage. I don't know what Joe Lombardi's got to do to unlock more of that offense that has talented guys on it. I mean, you know, I know Mike Williams is now dealing with an injury. Keenan Allen's coming back from injury, but there are other guys there that they, that Justin Herbert can go to. They have to do more to get the ball vertically down the field and utilize the, the arm talent that, that Justin Herbert has. I mean, it's like if you have a Ferrari in your garage and instead you decide that you want to go out and drive a Kia Rio every day. Why would you do that? You should never do that. Let Justin Herbert be great. Totally, totally agree. I got to go back and watch that game now because that stat that you just gave is unbelievable that he's less than five yards per attempt. Yeah. That, that just, that's the craziest. Over two game stretch. It's that's not just crazy. one. I mean, that, yeah. that Denver game was ugly, but this <clears> one too. I mean, it was, it was five some yards per attempt in this one, which is also unacceptable. Yeah. Um, let's talk about someone who is not at five yards per attempt, and that's Patrick Mahomes. You know, I watched every snap of that game against the 49ers, and I just marvel at what I see out of Patrick Mahomes because, you know, and this goes back to training camp. I talk, I've talked a lot about this this summer and early fall that Patrick Mahomes was absolutely, totally determined to um, – to make sure that if they lost, it wasn't because 
they didn't have Tyreek Hill. And if you look at what this team has done right now and how brilliant Mahomes was on Sunday, it amazes me that this year through seven games, if you look at it, you know, Patrick Mahomes right now is really on pace uh, in, in many ways to be better than he was a year ago. And <clears throat> he, I think the one thing that really impresses me is how he has made it so possible for the new guys to come in and to play well right away. Juju Smith-Schuster, you know, Sky Moore has made an impact. Isaiah Pacheco, obviously, is such an interesting young talent for them. Yeah. Uh, Justin Watson, I'm forgetting Marquez Valdez-Scantling, um, you know, who had a huge play Sunday against the 49ers. And I just say this because, you know, you don't see this, you don't hear it a lot out of, um, out of uh, Mahomes, but mentally, he doesn't want people to think that he can't do something like adjust to life after a great receiver leaves. So it has really, really impressed me that he's gotten Juju and Valdez Scantling, uh, you know, McCole Hardman for a bigger role uh, on board to do a lot more than anybody thought that they would do. Yeah, I mean, and it does. It goes back to the spring, to the summer, and Smith-Schuster was talking about this in his post-game press conference that it wasn't just the work in Dallas that they did, but also he <laughs> and Travis Kelsey and Mahomes and Valdez Scantling were all playing Call of Duty Modern Warfare together, which... You know, who knows? I didn't realize that that could really help your chemistry. But Smith-Schuster said the way that they were communicating and knowing how difficult it is to win a game like that, they won three games in a row and they're like, huh, yeah, this is going to really help us. And so there are a million different ways that you can help and expand chemistry. Obviously, I think, you know, Patrick Mahomes having everybody in Dallas and practicing with them in April and May probably has a little bit more to do with it than the modern warfare stuff. But hey, Call of Duty, that could help. Maybe <laughs> Kyler Murray wants to start doing that too. Um, you know, I just want to mention one thing about Joe Burrow. Talk to him Sunday after the game. And, uh, you know, he played what you could argue is the best game of his career mm -hmm. considering when you throw for 481 yards that's one thing but he also completed the toughest pass you know next gen stats had that pass that he threw in traffic 43 yards in the air to jamar chase at the right pylon of the end zone <clears throat> with a cornerback draped on him. I mean, just absolutely incredible yeah. that Jamar Chase catches the ball, understands that if it's not going to be him, it can't be anybody else. And I just think right now, sometimes we can end up taking guys like Patrick Mahomes and Joe Burrow for granted. And absolutely we shouldn't. I want to tell you one thing that he told me that I think is really, really important for a quarterback to have. And it's the confidence 
in his receivers to be defensive players. Mm-hmm. And he mentioned this to me. And he said to me, and I'll read you his quote. I also know I can take some chances that maybe I shouldn't. I do that because our receivers do a great job of being defenders if it looks like they're not going to be able to catch it. That's part of the reason why I've only thrown one interception since week one this year. And his point is that if Jamar Chase sees that maybe the ball is a little bit uh, short of him or whatever, he's going to become a free safety. And he's going to try to bat the ball away from the guy who is in position to catch it. Tremendous awareness by a good young quarter, a great young quarterback and a great young receiver. Well, I, I do love the chemistry that Joe Burrow and, and Jamar Chase have, you know, and I, you know, also in your column, he talked about not throwing certain passes. If he did not have all of those built in reps that yeah. he has, with Jamar Chase because they've got that inherent trust and you can't just build that in one day. You can't build it in one week, one year. I mean, you can't even build in the season, right? When you have that kind of dynamic connection between those two guys, it just speaks to how successful they can be. And so, you know, who knows if Joe Burrow will someday get Norm Van Brocklin off that top of the single uh, game passing list, but who knows it could happen. I mean, maybe it'll be this week. Cleveland's defense is not very good. All right. We got 90 seconds left, and I'm going to ask you my question of the week. Okay. Who has a chance to rebound? Bucks or Packers? Discuss. Oh, boy. I'd have to say the Bucks. I think, in part because of the division that they play in, like they're still in first place in the NFC South, despite how bad it's looked, in spite the fact that they are three and four, and they could easily be three and five. I mean, I don't know. I don't give Baltimore no shot of going out of Tampa and winning that game at Raymond James Stadium on Thursday. So, but they still have Tom Brady, and it's tough for me to count Tom Brady out until he just says, I'm not going to do it anymore, and he actually means it. Whereas the Packers, everything is a slog right now, they have no dynamism on offense. Aaron Rodgers doesn't seem to trust anybody that's really out there except for maybe Aaron Jones. And if that's the case, then I don't really know what they're going to do. I mean, Alan Lazard wasn't playing at the end of the game. He got hurt, but that's, that's part of it, man. I, I don't know what's going on with the Packers, but now they're so far behind the Minnesota Vikings. They've really got to play catch up. I think I, I would say green Bay, but only because they're, they're slightly better on the offensive line. And yeah. they've got two young receivers who I keep waiting for the light bulb to go on, especially for Romeo Dobbs, but we'll see. Miles, we're out of time. Uh, I appreciate you joining me this week, as you do every week. It's been a lot of fun. And, you know, I also appreciate Joe Person explaining the Panthers. Um, in the next few weeks, we're going to have some sort of different guests on the podcast. There's a bunch of really good books out about football and other things. Um, we're going to have Jeff Perlman on coming up. Uh, he wrote a new book about Bo Jackson. Oh yeah. Um, and we're going to have some other, other guests, but we're gonna have some book guests uh, just because I'd really like everybody to read more. And since <laughs> I'm in charge of the world, um, that's what we're going to do. But anyway, my thanks to everybody for uh, uh 
experiencing this episode of the Peter King Podcast. We'll be back with another one next week. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.